Gresham College presents Healing and the Spirit, Holistic Biology by Dr. Roger Taylor. And thank you for asking me to talk in this very exciting series. And also uh, to talk in such a beautiful and wonderful place. It's quite different from the very cold and colourless um, classrooms that I'm used to back in Bristol University. Anyway, um, I've, um, I entitled my talk Holistic Biology, and I feel I should apologize a little bit for using the word holistic because it's rather a buzzword, but it's really uh, an excuse to tell you my little story about how I was the most awful reductionist in earlier years, well, most of my life, in fact. <coughs> and um, that means that um, I was the kind of scientist who, when he's presented with a beautiful wood, he says, oh, I can't cope with that. Um, just let me start by counting the trees. So um, I spent a lot of my time counting things and not much time seeing beyond that or seeing things in a more whole kind of way. So um, I'll tell you how I... I'll tell you the story of my conversion to, to uh, let's say, to at least move in a more holistic direction. Um, I was at Bristol. I was studying the immune system. Now, as you know, that's uh, the system that defends our body against uh, attack by bacteria and viruses and things like that. And what it has to do is a very, very difficult job. It has to uh, decide when, it, when any molecule comes into the body, it has to say, now is this going to harm me or isn't it? And basically, it's got to say, is this a piece of me or not? Is it a bit of me or something foreign? Well, actually, the system itself consists of an enormous number of cells. There must be uh, about 10 with 12 zeros after it, 10 to the 12 cells in a human immune system. And all of these are buzzing around the body, and each one of them, when it meets any molecule, well, it's meeting molecules all the time, and every time it has to say, is this a bit of me, or is it not? Is it something foreign? Um, maybe if it's something foreign, I'll have to do something about it and, and reject the foreign invader. But what I never realized, or didn't realize at first, and um, as far as I can see, most of my colleagues didn't realize either, <clears throat> is that it's not really the cell itself. An individual cell can't make that kind of decision. Um, I mean, they used to talk about a cell recognizing something foreign. Well, it no more recognizes something foreign than a single cell in your brain would recognize your, your friend when you meet in the street. It's obviously, it's your whole brain that does it. And in the same way, it's not each individual cell, it's the whole immune system which recognizes what's foreign and what is, uh, what is self. 
So um, if the whole immune system is doing it, then obviously these cells are going to have to talk to each other. And uh, that's what I spent a lot of my time doing, is sort of working out, well, just the fact that they did talk to each other was, uh, took a lot of <laughs> work to prove. Uh, and the more I went on with it, the more complicated it became. And um, I started to, uh, well, when I was doing experiments, I thought, now, if this is true, maybe we can manipulate the immune system and make it do this or do that. And it turned out to be extremely capricious and um, unpredictable. And I got a bit um, uh, worried about this and eventually concluded that one couldn't really uh, manipulate it, not really without bashing it on the head anyway. You couldn't in a, a subtle kind of way manipulate it just by playing around with chemicals and injecting chemicals and injecting cells and things like that. Um, and I saw that there had to be, one had to sort of stand back and see the thing as a whole, as it, um, as it functioned as a whole. So um, I began to draw little diagrams as a kind of metaphor so um, I'd like to come back to that a bit later. <clears throat> but uh, just now, I'd like to talk about two new development, developments in fundamental science, which are very uh, exciting and hopeful to my way of thinking. Um, I'll have to sort of go into a little bit of physics um, but my wife says that it should be possible to explain anything to anybody if you um, go about it the right way. <laughs> so don't get worried. And anyway, I'm not a physicist, so I don't really understand the nitty-gritty of it. But the general ideas are very appealing. Well, the first of these is the idea of how it is that um, ordered patterns can arise out of chaos. You see, um, we've lived for uh, 200 years, maybe more, with the second law of thermodynamics, which says that all the order in the world is gradually breaking down, and soon we'll just be a completely disordered soup. Everything is the same everywhere, wherever you go. Um, and that seems rather depressing. In fact, I think Bertrand Russell wrote some very depressing thoughts on it. However, what, this, uh, what people didn't notice was that this second law doesn't forbid that uh, there should be local accumulations of order. So, um, so people said, uh, well, aha, maybe that's what's happening when you get life. This is a local accumulation of amazing order out of a relatively disordered background. And the mathemat mathematicians have been working on that recently, and you probably 
some of you have seen on television, these amazing pictures of, um, which are done on, on computer. And it just makes extraordinary patterns. Um, it's a very, um, gives you quite, quite a, a buzz to see it. So these are just some of these wonderful computer patterns. And they're quite unpredictable. Uh, you, uh, it's really a, a sort of, they're very creative. They create their own patterns. And nobody, when they feed a, a, a certain equation into the computer, they don't know what's going to happen. They just turn it on and, and see what happens. Um, and you can also see this in, in chemistry. There's a, a system here where this is just a, a liquid in a dish. And it has an indicator dye, which can be red or blue. It's actually the blue's faded. Um, and when you first mix it up, it's completely red. And then here and there, there'll be a little spot of blue. And that spreads out as you know, over a matter of minutes. And inside the blue, a red appears. And inside the red, a blue. And it keeps spreading like waves from where you've dropped a pebble in a pond. Uh, this particular one, it's turned into spirals. Um, the thing is that um, you can shake it up again and it'll all go red. And then once again it'll start. And what's happening really is that out of this jumble of molecules where they're all mixed up in a liquid, you're getting order arising out of chaos. And that's exactly the sort of thing that's supposed to happen in the, when a living being develops from, from an egg, let's say. Um, well, as soon as this idea began to get around, people began to see this sort of thing happening everywhere. And um, they'd see it in cloud formations, patterns appearing out of uh, apparently mixed up air and water vapor. There'd be patterns <coughs> in turbulent water where a, a stream comes running over a bridge all the little eddies and whirlpools, and the patterns in the formation of landscape, for instance, even that. And Paul Davis says, now really it's going the other way, and people see this everywhere, so that um, non-chaotic systems, he says, are just about as rare as hen's teeth. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, that's another natural system. This is snowflakes. Now, as you know, every snowflake is supposed to be different. And what that means, really, and what it shows, is that uh, most, many of these systems are extremely sensitive to very, very small influences. So slightly different um, uh, conditions in just over here will make a snowflake one shape and little different conditions over here will make it another shape. So it becomes extremely sensitive, and that's important for later on when I want to talk about things like homeopathy. Well, that's one um, new development in science, uh, how order comes out of chaos. 
The other one uh, concerns concerns um, quantum physics. Uh, now, even that I maintain, or my wife maintains, <laughs> uh, is quite explicable, basically. That, of course, is not all that new. It's quite old. Um, but it's only recently that the implications are filtering down into biology. Anyway, I think you really have to think of it in terms of, of you have to think of everything in terms of vibration or waves rather than uh, particles. So if you just think of the music of the spheres, um, that's got a lot to do with, with uh, quantum physics, I think. You can think of each um, particle, for instance, an electron, <clears throat> as a bit like a vibrating violin string. And um, just as a violin string can vibrate, the whole string can go up and down, or it can vibrate in two bits, go up an octave, or it can vibrate in three, or four, or five. Uh, you only have whole numbers. You can't have anything in between. So that's how it is in quantum physics. There are, energy is in quanta. You can have one quantum, or two, or three, or four, or any number, but you can't have anything in between. And it's to do with the way vibrations are. Well, <clears throat> when you get a number of particles coming together, as you do in an atom, you get a number of protons and a number of electrons, and they all come together, they lose their individuality as particles, and they all vibrate together in some kind of complex harmony. So it really is a bit like music, and you have a little harmonic um, instrument, if you like, <clears throat> and it makes a little pattern of vibration which is called a wave function. And when atoms get together to make a molecule, you have a, a much more complicated wave function and some more lower notes start coming in. Well, there's nothing in principle uh, against going on indefinitely in that direction bigger molecules have more complex patterns. And when you get large lumps of matter, maybe there are patterns there as well. And what I'm trying to say is really that this is particularly true of living beings, that they are essentially quantum holes, like, a, like an atom. They're vibrating um, in a very, very complex way but it's all in harmony, or it should be. Um, I reckon that you, if it's not quite in harmony, that's when you get ill. Um, well, I just wanted to make a, a little, pic, another pictorial analogy. It's not, um, not more than an analogy, but it's very, um, uh, illustrative, I think. 
anyway, the lesson of that really is that uh, the relationship of harmonic vibrations to, to forms and order, ordered forms. The people who are studying chaos have to admit that um, although they know in principle how these patterns arise, to predict them with any certainty is absolutely impossible. Uh, and this goes, of course, for things like the weather. The further you go into the future, the more unpredictable it becomes. And that's not because our computers aren't good enough. It's just fundamentally true that you can't. And I think this is the point where science uh, has come to understand exactly why it cannot, um, exactly where its limitations are, shall we say. Um, and I think that's extraordinarily significant, a very significant point in our understanding. Well, so uh, let's say the organism is basically a little quantum hole vibrating away. Well, that's what I'd maintain. I mean, I don't know if there are any scientists in this room, but <laughs> they might like to challenge me. I would just say, in support of that, uh, that there's <coughs> quite a number of quite respectable scientists who are producing evidence at the moment that this is true. Now, if it was true, you would expect certain things to follow. And um, one of these is that uh, the organism should produce or contain within itself and produce coherent radiations. What I'm leading up to, really, is to uh, say that this has a lot to do with the many of the complementary medical therapies, which appear to make no sense at all to conventional science. Um, if you look at it with these things in mind, they make a whole lot more sense. Well, what remains was really a few uh, thoughts I had on uh, medicine in a very general kind of way, which uh, I thought I could um, bring out but with the use of that little triangle. You remember the little triangle? Um, <clears throat> The idea, really, is just to uh, say, here's, here's your triangle of a healthy person. Let's say that um, you know, straightforward, straight triangle. And A, B, and C are just three things that you might, that a clinical doctor might measure, like um, levels of, of a hormone or uh, amounts of um, various chem biochemicals in the body. And then um, here are the uh, results he'd get uh, compared with a normal range. So um, A might vary in normal people from there to there, and B from there to there, and C from there to there. Um, normal person, healthy person falls there. When he's sick, if he's not very, very sick, then none of these may fall outside the normal range. Um, so I've just drawn it here. They don't fall outside the normal range. 
so you might not, the person might go to the doctor and say, I, feel, I don't feel well. And he does various tests and says, well, I can't find anything wrong with you. And they send him away with an aspirin or something. Um, and yet, uh, if you look at it from a holistic point of view, um, uh, there's something very definite and distinct has happened to that person. Uh, of course, he knows it. He doesn't feel well. Um, but uh, this is what the alternative practitioners, the sort of thing they're looking at more and more, and what an acupuncturist does uh, is to feel the pulses, um, and um, I don't know exactly what they do, but <coughs> they find out uh, the balance of the, uh, what they call chi in the meridians of the body. And it's all a question of balance. And the homeopath, as I said, take, gets a whole lot of questions, and he gets a kind of whole picture of what's happened to this person. So I've uh, indicated that by a bend in the, in the um, triangle. There's also uh, the susceptibility to cancer, which is a, a feature of the whole body, the whole person. And um, as we know that, well, I, I um, show it here as uh, some change in shape of the whole person allows cancer to grow. Uh, surgeon chops it off, but unless the shape is changed, it's likely to grow again. And many of the things that uh, alternative therapy does is to help people um, uh, get the shape right. Now, it's uh, of course, it's not so easy once the cancer has developed. But um, what they say is that uh, if you keep really healthy, you're much less likely to get cancer. And certainly, uh, they claim to help people recover after surgery. It's not saying you shouldn't have surgery, that sort of thing but you might help people recover. Well, that's really most of what I wanted to say. Mm. Yes, I sometimes think that um, the establishment is very resistant to these sort of ideas, and I say, my God, when is anything going to change? Uh, this slide just looks back into the 19th century, um, and one can really see how far we've come, because this was the sort of idea that they had then, or some people had, which seems laughable to us. Organ of murder. They actually expected to open the brain of a murderer and find some funny shape in his brain. <laughs> how, how materialistic could you get? And that, that really seems to... Um, <laughs> perhaps it's right to end with death. Thank you for listening. Anyway. For all information please visit www.gresham.ac.uk.